truly, she was gripped by the images of German artist Kate Kollwitz, and she couldn't let them go. Poet J.C. Todd was stunned as she beheld the etching The Plowman from Kette's Peasant War series, feeling the shock in the very marrow of her bones, stunned then to silence, but not always. Finally, she found words to respond, to give form to the places where she, J.C. Todd, was taken in her complex experience of that etching, filtered through her own life experience to create something original in conversation with Katakolwitz, for that is how J.C. Todd sees it, Kolwitz as a kind of mentor. We can imagine Todd in her imagination exploring with Kata, how is it possible to create art out of the horrors of war, the poverty, the suffering? But we find, yes, she can. J.C. Todd came to us here in 2019 with poems from that heartfelt encounter with Kolwitz, and now in 2021, J.C. has come with a new collection titled Beyond Repair, expanding the range and reach of the places she takes us, and some of the poems are hard to hear. But she earns our trust because of her seemingly endless compassion, and we might add because she believes in the healing power of beauty, and ultimately because of her trust in the body to give rise to rhythms and sounds that shape poems that are truly, safely grounded. It's as if we picked up where we left off when J.C. Todd paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us and read for us. Erica, I, I love being here to talk about this book because the conversation with you about Kathy Kolwitz was just remarkable. That Germany before and during the Second World War. It was the population who were the targets, both from the German government and from the Allies. And so it was impossible suffering. And my great-grandmother is German, but I don't know her name. I should, but I can't find it. And so I'm fourth generation, okay. But I feel a connection there. And it was so surprising to me when my own children were in the Middle East serving there, a son, daughter-in-law, grandson, that I felt the threat that they lived in. And how could I feel that? It made no sense. And then I began to read military blogs, things like that, to try to learn what their lives were there or to have a picture of what their lives were there. They weren't talking. Isn't that so? And how many of us who had parents, fathers, and uncles who were in World War II? Yes, zip. And I heard Michael Miller, who's a marvelous poet. He lives in Philadelphia, and he's a veteran. And he advocates for veterans to use arts to heal themselves, as he has done. I asked him once, did he talk to his daughters about it? And he just looked at me in horror and said, I'm not talking to them about this. I got the sense that he, he did not say this, this was my interpretation, but that he, he didn't want to contaminate them. And I really understand that. But I think we're all contaminated. Since I was born, which was in the 1940s, 
There has not been a year of life on earth without a war somewhere. And so we are always living in a milieu of war, particularly in the U.S., where the media brings it to us. It's not kept secret. Some things are. But on the whole, we know the fighting is going on. We know the death counts. We know where the bombings are happening. And sometimes we know them a minute after they happen. So we're all carrying this, whether we want to or not. It's in us. This could not have sprung fully formed from the brow of Zeus. It feels to me, having known the previous work that you've done, it's as if this enormous current was at the bottom of the sea and it was just swirling and and somehow it rises. I think you've really caught something there. It does feel that. I was reading about Virginia Woolf, a British novelist, writing a letter to her sister, Vanessa Bell. Now, I can't quote it, but I can say one word. She was saying, Vanessa, when I write, it isn't words. It's a wave that has been coming up in me. Now, this is a paraphrase. And as it crests, that's what I'm riding, but also writing. But I do feel this myself, that when my students were in Vietnam and some coming home in body bags, So that was in the 60s. And then there was a period where it didn't feel like there was so much war, but there was a lot going on in apartheid. So there were were conflicts and problems. There was a lot of aggression during the 80s and 70s against the indigenous people in Central and South America. And all this news comes into the U.S. I'm gathering it, I'm gathering it, and I'm really not consciously avoiding it, but I'm really pushing it down. I don't want it to contaminate my life any more than I understand Michael Miller not wanting his daughters to have to carry this burden. Do you go in thinking, I have to find ways and words and images that will convey the horror, the horror, the Joseph Mm -hmm. Conrad horror, the horror, and yet not so horrible that people dropped the book. There was a point when I realized that these stacks of papers that I had been writing, and some were poems and some were drafts and some were notes, when I realized, oh, this is a book, because I don't write books, I just write individual poems. So there has to be a sort of accumulation before I get it. When I realized that I, I was first afraid to write, I've never served, I have not been in a conflict, a weaponized conflict zone. I live in a neighborhood where there is not high incidence of crime. I can go to the grocery store and feed myself anytime I want. You know, sometimes it's peanut butter, but usually it's not. And no, there I don't worry when I step out the door or when my daughter, when she was little, went to school. I wasn't thinking, oh my God, I hope you don't die today, which You know, if you're living in a place where there's conflict, that's what you're thinking. And I didn't make this up. I've heard people tell me this. So I I wanted to get all of this in, but to honor the fact that I live in a privileged situation, relatively, and I had to make 
I had to allow that to be part of the poems, but I couldn't be virtuous that I was writing them. And I didn't feel that way. I felt very humble about it. And so I did an enormous amount of research. And I made myself porous through immersing myself in historical work and media, military blogs, you know, articles in the Atlantic, front page from newspapers and different veteran sites. And then there is a great deal of literature about the effect of the bombings in the Second World War on the population in Germany and in Britain. So I used that as kind of a way in to what was going on in Iraq, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine. I, I will stop there, but it isn't, you know, we could name a lot of places. Now we could move to Africa. We could just keep going. We could also say Ferguson. We could say Standing Rock. So we are not isolated from this. I wanted to honor all of that suffering and still be honest about the fact that I was feeling it through empathy and not through direct experience. When you spoke with us about the Katakovitz poems, you were so keen on helping us feel hunger in many ways. And that continues because it is one of the casualties of war, being hungry. We see in so many of these poems, you have that image-making capability. People may have the experience of going through it, but what is the image that captures that suffering that women live through, particularly, that you are able to say, oh, I can, like the woman standing in the line at the prison with Akhmatova, can you write this? And I, she says, yes, I can. And that's your gift. You have the image-generating capacity mm -hmm. to say, I've got it. This might capture part of what that might be like. My own, um, my own feeling when I write is that the poems come from my body. And I would include my brain and my mind as part of the body, but I don't feel that I'm an intellectual, and everything is a bodily response for me. Many people are not like this, but I am. And so hunger was very important in these poems. And the fact that I'm a woman and I've had the privilege of carrying babies and giving birth to one child, that to me was a privilege. It changed my life. But also it gave me a real sense of what embodiment is. So in poetry, an image maybe appears to you or you have some words and you say, oh, there, that's an image. In other words, it's a little spark that people will connect with people, often visual, but doesn't have to be. I feel that I felt, I, right, I'm stumbling here, not from the beginning, but as the poems began to coalesce into a book, I began to realize that form was very important. It was a container. I had to offer myself the understanding that when the poem formed, I could walk away from it. And then I realized I had to offer that to the reader because the intent of these poems is not to have people carry the harm in a way that harms them, but in a way that alerts them 
wakes them up, allows them to release their own empathy. And so the art that I've practiced since I was a kid has really enabled, has been the, what's the word, the mechanism by which this could happen. And the example that we can cite clearly is the crown of sonnets, where you really took a formal poetic device and used it in a way to cover something was very difficult. Right. And I will say, a sonnet is a, is a, a 14-line poem, and it's just a tough little nut. Even though it's so beautiful and lyrical, and sometimes it just tastes like chocolate in your mouth, they're so luscious, but they're very demanding. So I picked a sonnet because I'm not particularly good at rhyme at the ends of lines. So that was a, so I was going to have to, you know, jump up. And because a sonnet has a turn in it, there's a moment in the sonnet between the eighth and the ninth line where you're supposed to turn it, open it up, close it down, make it go somewhere. And so I had a little roadmap that I had to follow. And that allowed me to write these very difficult poems, which I feel such sympathy for military personnel overseas in combat zones, but particularly for women. Not that I think they have a harder row than the men do. They, they're both in combat situations, but the women are not as habituated to it, and the armed services are not as habituated to women. The arc of this crown involves the experiences of a medic. Mm-hmm. And you call it something that we can't say on mm-hmm. air, perhaps. We can say the word and military people will know what it mm-hmm. means. But tell us about what okay. goes on in that okay. sequence. So my daughter-in-law is a physician and she served as a physician in Iraq, in Balad, which was a huge Air Force base northeast of Baghdad. She was not in a forward base, in other words, that was under attack all the time. And she uh, had terrific skills to bring to what she was doing because with explosive devices, there's a huge amount of torso damage, and she's a pulmonologist. And, and critical care, she's bored in a number of areas. So she, of course, wasn't telling me talking about it, maybe to my son or husband, but not to me. But she did tell me a little story one weekend that I was spending with her when she was back home. And it was really an innocent story about, about the fact that you don't have bathrooms in the trailer where you live because it's sand. And so all the septic system has to be in one spot. And so she would have to walk two blocks at night to the toilet trailer. So this is an innocent enough story. And we were chuckling about it and I was bemoaning that I, etc. But that that got me to write a poem. It was like a little piece of grit and this pearl was forming around it. And also was a, a window or, well, I used the word porous before, it was a moment when I thought, oh, I can really identify with this. Who can't? We all have had urgence. So, okay. So that that kind of began it. And then I wanted to write more story poems, but not about her. It it seemed too disrespectful. I've never mined my family, you know, for little poetry diamonds. I can't do it. Some poets do it beautifully. It's not me. 
So then I began to read a lot of blogs by women overseas, uh, blogs that don't exist anymore. And I did not take notes. I just read and, um, and sort of see what their lives were like. And then that immersion into the, the material of their lives came up as I began to write these poems. But I did keep the doctor, who most people do see as a medic, but and it doesn't really matter because they're all doing this. But I did keep the doctor because I wanted a figure who was not intended to kill, but was intended to heal or save. Is there one that you might give an example? And this is from a set of poems difficult to hear. The title is Fubard, which means fouled up beyond all recognition is what we usually say. But in this book, I tweaked it to an other phrase that's sometimes used, fouled up beyond all repair. Although truth to tell, I don't use the word fouled, but okay. Okay, here's one. I think this is probably a good example. Sometimes civilians are treated. They're brought in through the gates, and that occurs sometimes with market bombings. I don't know how frequent it is, uh, but I did read that it did occur. So here's the doctor thinking you're in her mind, she doesn't use, she refer to herself, but you're just in her mind. New twist. Bombs riddle a market. Heroes meet the wounded. Age shoppers mad to escape, cradle the dying, and detonate. It rains petals. Their flesh, faintly sweet as if burning sugars tinged the air. The heat does it. Sizzles juices like lamb on a grate, but it's dog, human, goat, an intimate cross-species slurry or oddly warm sleet that pierces skin. Organic shrapnel, mixing with clay shards, fine grains of cumin, cayenne, bits of plastic, glass, a chaos mosaic or tattoo that her tweezing and stitching will not remove. In dreams, their skin opens to wound her, pain that has no analgesic. It's a hard poem. Now, we can't be seen by each other, but both of us have tears in our eyes, and yet, I'm hoping that the way the poem is positioned, some of the, sad to say, beauty of the language, the rhymes, the way you feel it's moving in a direction and will end, none of that, um, I'm hoping that all of that becomes like the bandage or the balm that eases the wound so that we can experience this and take it in, whatever that means to us. And then we can be released by the beauty of the poem from that pain. Maybe we'll still hold it, maybe we'll remember it, but we're not asked to suffer forever. The images, the petals, the human shrapnel, that is something, too, that we notice if we go through the book. And that is particles. 
whether they be the seeds or the cells of the body, mm-hmm. those miniature, minuscule cells that may form the baby that you're going to be writing about or that may scatter in this way in the market when bombed. It's an extraordinary tension and paradox, and it's all part of being on this planet. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is, because I don't think you have to live in a, in a war zone to have experiences that shatter you. And some of them are wonderful, right? Love, pretty shattering, at least for a while. So it, it isn't necessarily a negative. And I want to say, as, as a mother of veterans, I'm pretty attentive to the fact that they are carrying things that I don't know about, and they don't want to tell me, and it's their business. I mean, they're all grown-ups anyway, but it, it's their business. But I want to have enough experience, either through reading or writing or talking with people, enough experience to have more than sympathy for them. I want to be in touch with them, even if I don't know the details. I want to be able for my heart to go out to them. And I'm sure there are many parents who feel this way. So... There's a lot of birth in this book, as well as death. Maybe not to counter it, but it's such a force of life. And I didn't want the book to be a force of death. You give us a poem. That's a short one. Earth. Oh, yeah. I'm owing because I'm so fond of this poem. It was a gift. I was writing a group of poems, and I had this was pretty well planned once I sort of got the drift of what what I wanted to do. And there was set during the Second World War, but there was a girl and a mom. So to me, that was like the Greek myth, right? Of mother, daughter, Persephone, Demeter. And um, Demeter is the goddess of earth. And then there's a Hades, because the daughter falls in love with Hades, the god of the underworld. But in this group of poems, he's a commander. So it's during a war. But after the girl and the commander and the mother get to say their piece. They each speak their mind. Earth pops in. Now, Demeter is the goddess of the earth, and all her powers come from the earth, so of course, earth is just going to speak. So this is earth talking. I should say they is the humans, or us. Earth, they have time. I have duration and mass to absorb their ticks and tocks the mental blocks they use to build. I aggregate and shift, mountain into meadow, sea into a shore of literals on which they cavort and die. I persist, my motion not a quest for power or longevity. Theirs is, thus, their brevity. That is so wonderful. Earth smack down, you know. I, I enjoy this poem, but this poem gives me hope, and it's in the book because of the hope, because it's very hopeful to me that regardless of how humans evolve, and we will, but will become unimaginable to what we would understand as human, regardless of how we evolve, Earth is going to go on until its sun implodes. And that's a long time. So that's quite hopeful. What about your poem that celebrates the end of a world war? I will say that 
I grew up on Long Island, South Shore, but my mother's uncles, they were Johnstons, and they lived in this area. And when she was a kid, she would come up here sometimes and slide down comb dumps and so forth. So um, I, I'm really delighted to read this poem, because, which is very much about my mother and father and their generation. My cousins and I are little pipsqueaks in this poem, and we don't come in till the end. Imagining Peace, August 1945. And for those who don't have that date fresh in their mind, that was the final bombing that was Nagasaki. And uh, when the war in Asia was declared over, and my father, some of his brothers had been in that war. Imagining Peace, August 1945. No haze mars this Sunday picnic. My father and his brothers lays in Adirondack chairs, loosen heavy jaws, and sing through heads of beer. I want a girl, and Mersey dotes. It's over. The war is over. Jim and Vic already home, alive. Edmund and Freddie on their way. No one will call little Muller's boys those Germans anymore. No one will fault my father for a crooked net that barred him from joining up. Each night he slipped on a yellow CD armband to scan the Atlantic from Long Island beaches, civilian lookout for Nazi subs. After the A-bombs, they rejoice with icy Rheingold and just-raked steamers whose shells tilt up like an empire of faces raised toward a hiss from sky, a flash that quenched astonished cries. The men of my father tip little necks down their throats, lift mugs of amber pilsner, call and beckon, some pretzels, Bessie, Ellie, bring more beer, to the women who wind among them like a garland bearing food, my mother, my aunts in flowery aprons, dispersing the largesse of a just war's end. I am one of many cousins underfoot, cranky and curly-mopped from heat. We're picking fights. Clam up or else. The first idle threat of peacetime issued to us little ones born into war. I think we have a wonderful sense of your poetic magic, but it's not magic. I love the fact that you referred to little J.C. and the early poems and that working and working and building that mechanism and that technique so that you could, as you lived your life as a human, then use that art and that skill to do something remarkable. But you know, this is my work. I mean, I know it's art, and so that's my art form. This is my work, and I'm serious about it. I, and I love it, and it keeps me alive and oh, alert and happy in certain ways. Um, if I were a welder, I would have that work. And I say welder because, in a way, poetry and welding aren't that far off. Both of them are bringing things together till they can stick. And I think poetry is doing that. You try to bring some pictures or words or moments together in a way that they stick to the listener or the reader. The welder is making 
something that will last, it will stick together. Award-winning Pennsylvania poet J.C. Todd, author of a number of full-length collections, including The Damages of Mourning and What Space This Body, and most recently, Beyond Repair. For her work in Artists in the Schools programs, she has received a Governor's Award for Arts Education and a Distinguished Teaching Artist Award from the state of New Jersey and a fellowship from the Mid-Atlantic Arts Council. She is affiliated with the Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Program and Festival, where she's been a featured reader and workshop facilitator. She has taught on the faculties of the Creative Writing Program at Bryn Mawr College and the Rosemont MFA Program, and holds an MFA from the Program for Writers at Warren Wilson College. We had a chance to speak with her about her most recent collection, and she read from Beyond Repair, Beyond Repair is issued by Able Muse Press. And for more information, it's Able, A-B-L-E, Muse, M-U-S-E, Press, ablemusepress.com. And if you're interested in having an encounter with J.C. Todd, she will be offering a workshop titled Reverb, Writing Poems That Resonate, or Writing the Resonant Poem. And that's in January in Atlantic City. And if you'd like more information, it's wintergetaway.com, wintergetaway.com. For her website, it's jc-todd.com, jc-todd.com. And the book is Beyond Repair, and it's issued by Able Muse Press, ablemusepress.com jc todd and her website jc-todd.com <laughs>